You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania Manania. From the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council, this is the A Cuppa and a Yarn podcast. Yama, and welcome to A Cuppa and a Yarn, brought to you by the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. I'm Michelle Alexandrovix Lovegrove. Thanks for listening in. I hope you're enjoying our podcasts where we speak with inspiring Aboriginal people about their lives, their memories, what inspires them and what's important to them. Some of the people we'll yarn with are household names. Others are some of the many Aboriginal people around Australia doing great work and making a difference in their communities. One of the most important life areas for all of us is health. And Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health and well-being is a complex area where issues like land, connection to country and water and living on country are beginning to be considered more deeply by health experts and policymakers. Our guest this week is a Yorta Yorta woman born in the Lake Macquarie area of New South Wales who worked with a number of Aboriginal and mainstream organisations before falling into, as she said, health with the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, or VACHO. Summer May Finlay says her time with VACHO was the start of her vocation in Aboriginal health. She's very active on social media and was a key expert in the popular hashtag IH May Day or Indigenous Health May Day and hashtag Just Justice Movements on Twitter. Summer's currently living, studying and working in Wollongong on the New South Wales south coast. I hope you enjoy a cuppa and a yarn with Summer Finlay. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania, Manania. Welcome, Summer May Finlay. Thank you very much for agreeing to uh, have a cuppa and a yarn. Oh, pleased to be here. And we've already had one cuppa, haven't we? We have. It's my second already today. <laughs> <laughs> we are here at Wollongong University. Mm on lovely Wadi Wadi country at uh, Wadiunga Indigenous Centre and uh, we're in a quiet room. We are in a quiet room. It won't be quiet for long though with us no, in it. No, <laughs> no, not at all. But I think uh, I think that's all going to be okay with the staff here. So it's lovely that they've welcomed us and allowed us to uh, take this space and have our copper and yarn. Our listeners have heard a little bit of an introduction um, about you. If we can go back to the start of summer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was born on a really dark and stormy night. (laughs) Were you? Apparently it was flooding. Serious? Yeah. Okay, so is that why you were called Summer then? No, Mum saw that in the credits of a movie. Dad wanted to call me Courtney. uh, And Mum is pretty much the strong person in our family who, well, she's she's the matriarch. She got her way and called me Summer. Isn't that interesting? So from the credits of a film. Yeah. So uh, you were born on a dark and stormy night. Yeah. (laughs) I was, I was. Well, it was probably evening. It was about 6, I think, 6.30. But um, I was actually... So I'm a Yorta Yorta woman. Yes. But I didn't grow up on country. I grew up on Lake Macquarie, which is a Wobbicool country. Mm. So which is up near Newcastle. So your family uh, generally housed from Cumragunja, is that right? Yeah, so my grandmother grew up on the Mission Cumra and she went up... She met a man. As you do. As you do. And uh, that was my grandfather. And they decided to move up to where he was from, the entrance, before my mum was born. So that's the entrance on the Central Coast. I was born off country as well, but this is in... I'm not a journey, this is in South Australia. But certainly being born off country 
and living most of your life off country, really interested perhaps in how, although most Aboriginal people would tell you how, but, but how we continue to keep our sense of self. You know, how you as summer as a Yorta Yorta woman uh, being brought up on a Wabakal country, I mean, you're spending... How, how long have you been in Wollongong for? I moved down here in January, so not long. Okay, not too long. I yeah. tend to move around a lot, so I've spent a lot of time on other people's country. <laughs> so you're used to it. Yeah. So you've got the whole keeping yourself steadfast as Yorta Yorta down pat? Well, I don't know. I think it's an ever-growing part of myself. I mean, I grew up in a Wabakal country. A lot of my grandmother's sisters move mm-hmm. up there as well. So I grew up with a lot of family, even though we weren't on our own country. Um, I was saying to you before, my middle name is May, mm-hmm. which is my grandmother's middle name. She passed away before I was born, but her sisters and then her children and my cousins all are in Newcastle. So, um, And a lot of them married into Waramai. But, um, so I grew up with family, so I never felt... When I was younger, I didn't really know that I wasn't... You know, I never felt not connected to where I was mm-hmm. because family yeah. was there and you're connected to family. Yes. But then as I grew older and I started to understand more about what it meant to be an Aboriginal person and, you know, that connection to a place that I'd never actually remembered. I had been on Yorta Gorta Country when I was a little one. Mm. Um, but as an adult, I have uh, started to explore what our country is and what it looks like and get to know my mob from down Victoria. So I lived in Melbourne for a couple of years and um, a lot of our mob are around Melbourne way. So I've spent a fair bit of time, I've tried to spend a fair bit of time on country. Mm. And what was that like? First time I actually went there, I felt like a bit of an imposter. And I think we all feel like that because I was like, I actually didn't know much about this country and it's beautiful. But I think the more you actually get to know the people that are there and the place in and of itself, and it's on water. And so everywhere that's water, I feel really connected because I grew up on Lake Macquarie, which is a lake with the beach down the road. And, you know, the more I talk to people and connect with the elders in particular, um, the more connected I feel to there. With that, because I, I knew that you were uh, born and uh, had grown up uh, up there, but I only found out this morning you're actually a land rights person. You're a member of Warramai Local Aboriginal Land Council. I am. I am very much so. My mum's on the board. So as I said, a lot of our mob uh, married into Warramai. My brother used to work at um, Warramai and then was on the board, so it made sense for me to join the land council. So has your mum been on the board there for a while? Eight years or so. Oh, a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah everyone knows her. Like I'm known as Rhonda's daughter or <laughs> Kyle's sister. No one knows me for me because I haven't lived up there. Well, I lived up there when I was um, 19. I moved away and then I came back um, in my mid-30s for a couple of years. So everyone knows my family up there for sure. Yeah, that's really lovely to hear because it's a beautiful part of the world and it's a, and it's a fabulous lark too. One, I mean, I've been up there a few times to do stories yep. for, for Land Council and um, I love it. It is. Andrew Smith is probably um, one of the biggest reasons why it is actually as successful as it is. He is an amazing CEO. Um, he is The board is obviously instrumental, but Andrew... He's yeah. the bomb, really. He's the bomb. <laughs> he's the bomb. And, yeah, he, his guidance, you know, with their, their projects and taking back cultural control of the dunes, you know, yes. with Sand Dune Adventures and actually protecting the middens. I mean, the, the story of that is yeah. amazing. And my brother Kyle was actually uh, working at the Land Council when Sand Dune Adventures and was involved in setting that up. So, and that's certainly been something that has been very successful for the Land Council and is a really interesting way of um, introducing people to culture in the area. So, mm. yeah. 
It's now got to the point, though, with that where it's like, oh, another gold tourism award. <laughs> oh, dear, where are we going to put this one? <laughs> oh, the shelf's crowded. Going straight to the pool room. No. <laughs> with your memories of, uh, of Lake Macquarie, your siblings, clearly your, your family unit is very, uh, very strong and connected with each other. Any interesting sort of childhood? Remember, you've got a couple of brothers, don't you? Got two younger brothers, although they would like to think they're older than me because they boss me around. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I've got two younger brothers. They are... One actually was working at, as I said, as I said my Land Council. He now works for National Parks. Mm-hmm. And I've got another brother who's a physio, the youngest. Yeah, OK. And um, mum and dad are still in the house that I grew up in on Lake Macquarie. So it's, yeah, beautiful going home and... Um, uh, my auntie unfortunately died during childbirth, so our cousins, her four kids, came and lived with us for a while and have continued to live with us on and off for even into adulthood. So okay. I have memories of growing up uh, with my brothers but also with my cousins. Yeah, so, yeah and, and yeah. That's, a, that's a very Aboriginal thing to do, isn't yeah. it? It was funny, I was, I was at a funeral on Friday and they were talking about how Annie Beryl would bring all of the clothes out of the wardrobe and put them on the floor and then put a blanket over the top and then put blankets over the top of the kids so all of, everyone could sleep on the floor in the three-bedroom house if there wasn't enough space in the beds. Mm-hmm. And I remember Mum once pulling all the mattresses off downstairs and just sleeping all the mattresses, all seven of us, just kind of lined up during the school holidays. I bet you yeah. loved it. Did. I thought it was fantastic having yeah. the cousins around um, and even when they went back to uh, Uncle Mark, they would come during school holidays or, as I said, came and lived with us for different times. And it was just like, I don't know, it was just fun. Mm. Mum and Dad probably found it less fun with seven kids tearing through the house. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, All around the same age, you know, same age-ish? Uh, no, we range. So Charmaine was born premature and that's when Annie Sharon passed. So she was born... I was five, my brothers were younger, and Sean Chucky was about three. So it was probably from zero to about eight. Mm. Yeah, okay. Okay. So, yeah. That works. Yeah. I mean, it probably was handy for mum to have a couple of older ones because then you could look after the younger ones, which yeah. is what they did do. You mentioned one of your brothers is a, a physiotherapist. Mm, yeah. And you, having gone into the whole health area, so I know we've sort of made the jump from childhood to oh, <laughs> hang on to adulthood. Yeah. So were you always interested in in health? I was interested in health, kind of, but not really. So mm. I wanted to be a speech therapist. So I used to do drama for a long time. So did I. Oh, did you? Yeah, at high school. Ah. Yeah, that was what I wanted to do. But my science was down the tubes. So oh, see, I was good in science, but I didn't like it. My oh. math was again. Yeah. I'm should... a humanities girl through and through, though. Really. Mm. Yeah. But. Um, I wanted to be a speech pathologist because I had actually done a lot of speech and drama and part of speech and drama exams is speech. So I thought, yeah, I could be a speech pathologist. Uh, I actually went to uni. I didn't get great marks in year 11 and 12, well, in year 12, but I got enough to get into uni. But I got into a Bachelor of Arts, but I wanted to do business, so I did business subjects. Mm -hmm. Or I thought I wanted to do business because Dad told me I should do business. Hated it, dropped out. Mm. Um, I actually went back to uni and when I was 23 as a mature age student did social science okay. and I intended to do speech pathology, transfer into speech pathology but I didn't realise the uni I went to didn't do speech path because I didn't do my homework and so when I actually finished my degree I went to the UK but when I got back I was, I was just after the GFC All right, and yeah, it was really hard to yeah, get a job yeah. so I got back into retail 
And I ended up getting a job. So my major was linguistics at uni. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting a job in um, Aboriginal health research. And I wanted a job in Angu- Aboriginal language research. And I thought, bloody hell, two out of three is not bad for your first job out of uni. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I ended up in health by accident. So I dabbled in the idea of health, but I ended up in public health. And this was at VATCHO, which is the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. So, and I fell in love with it. Jill Gallagher, who's currently the Treaties Commissioner mm-hmm. down in Victoria, yes. she was the CEO and she was and is fabulous. And so that organisation had gone through a lot of change, uh, a lot of growth, but they do amazing things with the communities down there and the health services. I started out as a research project and I had a, um, an amazing woman Bronwyn Fredericks, who works up in Queensland. Yep. And she is someone who has just been a significant mentor to me. And I think because of her passion and her support, I fell in love with public health. Because, I, I mean, I realised that you, with through public health, you can actually impact not just one person when you're sitting face-to-face, mm-hmm. but you're actually impacting a whole lot of people when you introduce policies um, or you're doing research. And so for me, I thought, oh, this is actually a really effective way of reaching a lot of people. You're listening to A Cuppa and a Yarn. I'm Michelle Alexander of Lovegrove and I'm speaking with Summer Finlay. Land Council members, are your contact details up to date? Have you moved home recently? Got a new post office box? Are you even sure that your address, your phone number, maybe your email address has been entered into the members registry correctly? Well, there's only one way to be certain and now's the best time to do it. The Newswalk election is coming up soon on November 30. So having your contact details up to date has never been more important. Contact your lab today. It might just save you a lot of hassle tomorrow. On a cuppa and a yarn, I'm speaking with Summer May Finlay. And Summer, you're talking about the time, certainly with Vacho, where Mm. you... With that, which I didn't realise, I didn't know you were at um, AH&MRC. Yeah. Nacho? Yeah. Congress? National Congress of Australia's First People, yep. Yeah. So you weren't doing health at Congress, so weren't you in the communication space there? Uh, So I started out in policy. Yeah. And we did a whole range of things. So with public health and and with health more generally, um, from an Aboriginal point of view, we take that broader focus on health, education, housing, all that kind of stuff. So I still considered myself to be within the health space, even though it wasn't in a health organisation, because everything we were doing would have a positive impact Mm. on people's health. Mm. And so, yeah, I bounced around. I've actually worked at the AHMRC three times in three different roles. Wow. I keep going back like a bloody boomerang. Uh, Every time (laughs) I get a call from the now acting CEO, Tanya Brown, I'm like, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) and I'm actually on their ethics committee their um, research ethics committee so so I'm still connected to them but uh, yeah very very passionate about health and I think it's because health underpins everything you can't have land rights and be able to use them effectively if you're dying and if you're sick yeah if your communities aren't healthy yeah um, what's the point you can't you know we talk about sovereignty but if everyone is ill and everyone's in trauma because mm. of the death and dying and the, the sickness, then you can't actually really be sovereign people to our full capacity. Mm. So for me, um, health underpins everything. It's not it's the platform you need to be able to do everything else successfully. Well, we need to be healthy people, healthy physically and certainly healthy emotionally, spiritually. And culturally as well. I think we're still, would you agree, 
you know, I'm not an expert, but we're still fighting on all those fronts. Absolutely. If, mm. if we weren't, I would be out of a job. <laughs> and I'd be okay with that, I have to say. When you talk about health and, you know, your your love, your decision to pursue that certainly mm. uh, as a career, but absolutely with your studies, where's your niche in that? You know, it's a really interesting question. Or I mean, is there one? Well, my, I started out in tobacco control, so that's still something I work in. So I, I work for as a um, consultant with the Cancer Institute, which is a, a pillar of Ministry of Health here in New South Wales. But my niche is really... I've always seen myself as somewhere, someone who can actually facilitate or broker between community and government or community and other policymakers. So my niche is really um, that, mm-hmm. is that, that conduit. Because uh, there are experts in spaces that I'm just never going to be experts in, an expert in. It's just that I can't know everything. Yeah. Um, but we talked before we turned on about walking in two worlds. Yes. So I went to a private school, a private public school, uh, sorry, private school that my mum um, and dad put me in because they didn't like the local public school. And I was like, we were the only Aboriginal family there. So I was very oh, wow. used to being the only Aboriginal person or family within a space. And then I was in this accelerated learning class in high school from year seven to year 10. And again, being the only Aboriginal kid in the class. So you learn really quickly how to navigate. Mm. I knew how to navigate the Aboriginal world because that was what I was born into. But then you learn through your experiences. And I, and I think that's something that I probably have decided is my niche. All of this is happening, but alongside of it, which I must say when, when I met you, so uh, just so everybody knows, I met Summer on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you're not on social media, you bloody well should be. <laughs> so we, we met via Twitter, actually. Yeah. And certainly the space that you walk as is sort of part of all of this in health on Twitter. Yeah. So we met via the whole hashtag IH May Day. Yeah. 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 A number of years ago. So how is all how is all that going? Social media, I love social media. I find it a, a fantastic platform. And I think uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have certainly been significant adopters of social media, mm. including Twitter. IHMA Day was a great platform. Um, we haven't done it this year. Yeah. And yeah. we I was involved for four out of the five years. So it was started by Lenore Gaia from Townsville. Yes. And uh, she's a fabulous academic, amongst other things. And IHMA Day, for those that don't know, was it stands for um, Indigenous Health May Day. So what we actually were doing was having a whole day with sessions from individual Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people talking about the topic in any way or shape or form that they wanted to. And what we were trying to do was actually privilege Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices on that particular day. And non-Indigenous people were encouraged to listen mm. and retweet. Mm. Um, and you Some know, amazing stuff. Oh, it discussed. was. I mean, it, it was fantastic. We had everybody from young people who were new to Twitter uh, in we had academics. We actually hosted one of them here with Bronwyn Carson when she was here at Wollongong Uni. And we also had people like Nova Paris when she was the senator. We actually had Linda Burney and also Ken Wyatt two years in a row. So we had people from a whole range of areas and fields and expertise and also, you know, current jobs. Mm. So it was, it was fantastic and it was probably one of the highlights for me on Twitter every year. But the other thing which I think was pretty significant that we started, and this was with Crokey, was Just Justice. 
So that was a series of articles that we wrote or um, published around the over-incarceration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with a strengths-based and a solutions-focused. And uh, Just Justice, the, even though the book was published back in 2017 with all of the articles 90-plus that had been written for that series, it is still being used on Twitter. Yeah, isn't that great? Mm. Very, yeah. very chuffed about that. And I have to say, that was that the day that when I got that physical book in my hand, where we started this out as a conversation with Tom Calmer. Well, Melissa Sweet started a conversation with Tom Calmer about it and then had a conversation with me and next minute we have a book that's mm-hmm. actually profiling uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and solutions to the over-incarceration. And that's one of the other things, I think. I, I kind of straddle the world of public health research and academia and I also write mm-hmm. because I think I started writing croaky back in 2014 because I was sick of hearing about the crap stories of Aboriginal people in mainstream media yeah and I think we've had this conversation before yeah we have where the way people tell stories about us is not the way that I sit and feel about Aboriginal people my family and I think you're talking about me you're talking about my family you're talking about my friends and none of what you're saying actually relates to our lives mm-hmm. It's those negative stereotypes and those really emotionally charged articles. And so I wanted to write stuff that was stuff that our mob would actually go, that reflects me. It's still talking about some crap stuff in our communities, like the over-incarceration, but it's doing it in a way that makes our communities proud. Thanks for listening to the all-new Cupper and a Yarn podcast brought to you by the New South Wales Aboriginal Land Council. We love being able to bring you the inspirational stories and tales of all the brilliant people making such a key contribution to Aboriginal affairs right across this great state of ours. There's lots more to come. We'd hate for you to miss out, so hit subscribe and be sure to tell your mob. Now, back to today's yarn. This is a Cupper and a Yarn. I'm Michelle Alexander of Ex-Lovegrove and I'm talking with Summer May Finlay. You're talking about tackling um, negative stereotypes, etc., as presented in media. Mm. Um, you're clearly someone who, who, which is just so great. You see something, and go, okay, you know, what can we do? Uh, very good at navigating the the tricky waters of, of, of Twitter, which can be really great when the platform is is used well. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, though, is uh, perhaps as adept at turning sort of a negative into a positive or saying, well, okay, this is what I can can contribute to take it out of that negative realm. I know, and you'd know very well, a lot of our mob, we see those stereotypes, we see that stuff that's written about us, that's said about us, and we get angry and we rant, you know, and there's nothing wrong with a good rant. Any advice from you on when, when we see that? Because, you know, so, sometimes I read stuff and I just feel sick or I'm, I'm disgusted. I tend to rant a bit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we all do for another time. Yeah, because that, that plays into health as well. For me, I mean, I rant, but I tend to rant in the safety of a telephone call to my mother yeah. or my partner or someone who I know is, you know, it's like they're like it's a vault. Good. Yeah. And so for me, it is... There is a rant. I mean, one of the things, I don't know, but I, I look at people who make negative comments and or are writing crap stuff 
or even sometimes our mob who are saying stuff that really, really is actually harmful to us more broadly. And I actually feel really sorry for them. Mm. And I remember having a conversation when I was at National Congress about, it was a bunch of the Aboriginal staff saying, we love being Aboriginal. So I talk about all of the things that we loved about being Aboriginal. The connection, where you walk into a room and there'll be a bunch of white people in the room, but you sense an Aboriginal person and you do that little nod and then at morning tea, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just do it. Like, and then at morning tea, you actually go and like make a beeline, right? Mm. It, there is some connection that we have that is intangible and can't be explained. And so for me, I think about the misinformation that people often have, which actually leads them to have negative beliefs about us. And, you know, at times I'm not up for educating people. Sometimes I'm exhausted. Sometimes I'm just sick of the crap, to be quite honest. Um, But other times I kind of think, I can say something and I don't expect to change their mind. But if they start hearing all of the same stuff from different people, then maybe eventually they'll come on board. Mm. And I think for me, don't have a rant publicly yes because everything is public and if you don't know this there's a thing called web capture i think it's called where it literally captures everything online so even when you delete something it's going to be there forever yes so i kind of my litmus test is if i can't tell my mum don't say it and if if a um someone i care about is going to kind of look at me and like Mm. should you have done that or posted that then I, i don't post it um, but it doesn't mean we don't have emotions or don't get upset. Uh, but it just means that we don't do it publicly. I'm yeah. big on not airing dirty laundry publicly. And I see a lot of our mob online ranting. Um, and I actually don't think it does anyone any favours. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so themselves, carrying around that anger is really unhelpful. You know, and one of the things that I find really challenging um, is... I, I'm doing a PhD, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting it with you at a university. We have an Aboriginal centre. Things aren't great. Things aren't perfect. And there's a lot of stuff that needs to d- happen. But I can tell you things are better than when my grandmother was born. Absolutely. And I sometimes think we, stop to f- we, stop, we don't stop and remember the good stuff that has actually been achieved as often as we should. And our, our mob of thoughts. Like we, we look at the, the Charlie Perkins of the world and you know, the Freedom Rides, but there's lots of things in every community that have been done that are really successful for our mob. And I think about, well, if they've done that over this period of time, then we need to be doing more as well. But we also need to be reflecting and saying, we've had some really good stuff. Mm. We've got more people doing PhDs. We've got more people in government. We've got Ken Wyatt, who's the first minister in Cabinet. Mm. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We're not building on... uh, the struggles of the past, I, I, I do find sometimes that some of our mob maybe do, are, are building on that because there's a, that ho- there's a whole period of growth and positivity mm. that has occurred and that's what we need to yeah. keep building on. Yeah, we've got to make sure we agitate to maintain it because there's always the risk of losing it, going backwards, mm-hmm. but there is also a, a huge need for growth. Mm. So is that why, you know, talking about sort of building on things, you, it's your PhD territory now? Yeah. So the PhD, I started the PhD because essentially um, I, I mean, I love learning. So learning something that's really important to me and I feel like I learn every day. 
But for me, the PhD I knew was going to give me a competitive edge. So we, we work in a white world. We live in a white world a lot of the time and it's based on hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And so um, I recognised as a young Aboriginal woman, particularly as a woman, having those extra things in your bow means that you're more likely to be heard, as sad as it sounds. Um, even I noticed there was a shift in the way people treated me when I told them I was doing a PhD. There was like that, oh, like that extra... Oh, she's smart. Just, yeah, and it's like, <laughs> I mean, you don't need to have a PhD or have a formal education to be smart, but it is a clear oh. indication that you are hardworking, dedicated, and you know shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a very good point. And, and I think that, uh, you know, for me personally, I have the capacity and the skills to be able to go to uni and do these things and hopefully use those to make change for our mob or work towards change. And so, therefore, I feel like it's my responsibility to do that. So, but I love doing the PhD. Um, soon to be submitting. Got a couple of months left. Most of my stuff is written. So you're at the end of I it. I am, and I'm still smiling. She is. She's here. <laughs> her eyes are bright. She's smiling and laughing. And yeah. I walked in today and someone said, hello, here's the first cuppa. <laughs> cuppa straight up, you know, it was it was there. What's your secret then? Organisation? or? I'm very organised. I try not to let too many things get me down because I don't want to walk around being angry or upset all the time. And I have been, like I have moments where things aren't going well either in my personal life. So we, as I said, I just went to a funeral on, on Friday of a, an auntie who was a significant part of our community and our family. Um, but with the PhD, it's kind of like, I'm getting there, it'll get done and it'll be good. And that's all I need to remember. Mm-hmm. And I also reach out to people, but I also am kind to myself. If I want to have a day off and I just want to watch crap TV and eat crap food, that's what I do. With navigating all of that, I think uh, perhaps a, a lot of our mob, because we're still, you know, we're, we're still seeing families where, whether young people or not, you know, people are becoming the first. We're still seeing the mm. first in families to graduate from university, you yeah. know, at all. Going that, that realm in your studies, how do you... How do you juggle it? How do you live? How do you survive I'm and ve- thrive? I'm very good at multitasking, but I, I tend to be very efficient. Um, so I do a range of things. So I write, I'm working, I'm studying, and then I'm on the board of the Public Health Association. Um, I'm on a board of a startup NGO that's looking to work in the suicide prevention space for young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And for me, it's they're all kind of interlinked. So, you know, once you actually get enough experience knowledge there's a lot of overlap mm-hmm. um and i guess for me it li- literally is just being efficient yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't know how to i'm a very efficient person put it up yeah what if someone's not so efficient learn how to to do it i would tell people well efficiency is not naturally a, a, a something mm. for me i um I'm actually quite chaotic, she says. Yes, I am. If you ask my mum, if you see my bedroom, there is crap everywhere. Like legitimately, my I swear you walk into my house or if I when I'm staying in hotel rooms, I don't know what I do. Within about five minutes, it looks it's... like a bomb's gone off. Wow. But it's 
you learn. So when I actually, before I went to uni, I was actually working in retail and I was managing. So I had a multi-million dollar store with 10 staff minimum. And so I had responsibilities by the age of 22 where I was responsible for a store and, and, and I had to learn <laughs> to be able to do a range of things at once, keep on top of everything. And I Look think after it, people. Yeah. And it's what you do as you get older, you learn how to navigate the situations you're in and you find out creative ways like I have extensive task lists on my phone Mm -hmm. the iPhone has that task setting it's extensive and I think you just need to learn find out what your flaws are and look for ways around them I set myself alarms for everything everything's in my diary because if it's not I'm not going to remember this is a cup and a yarn I'm Michelle Alexandrovix Lovegrove and uh, we're speaking today with uh, Summer May Finlay about all sorts of things about (laughs) health about life about being organized yep (laughs) Just gave you my uh, yep two minute tip on. <laughs> There's something I do would really like to cover off on because um, I, I was fascinated by it, and uh, you know I, I wasn't aware that you know of your participation in this. You know before we we wind up today, that's the International Indigenous Health and Wellbeing Conference. Yeah. So that was held uh, only recently, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. It was. You wrote an article for SBS where you gave some five takeaways from that conference. So first up, that was held in Darwin. Yes. uh, And it's an international conference, eh? Yeah, and it was the second one Lowitcher had put on. And you've been to both of them? I have. Yeah. Two best conferences ever. Yeah, why is that? Uh, I think it's because it was actually run by our mob for our mob and we had Indigenous people from all around the world. And I go to conferences a lot. And they're very structured and very academic. And when you go to like an Aboriginal conference, like the Lowitcher Conference, they're delivered in a way that is run by our mob, for our mob. And I don't know how to explain it. And if you're Aboriginal, you'll get it. When you walk into a space, it's like coming home. Mm -hmm. And so both of those conferences were like coming home. In your article, five takeouts. Do you mind if I just go go through the list? So number one... Think cross-disciplinarily. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what's it? Is it? Everything, we are connected, everything's connected? Is, yeah. Is that a, yeah. I mean, we often in, work in silos. Like you see government do it, you see universities doing it, you see organisations doing it. And I've worked in organisations where the policy team doesn't talk to the comms team or the research team doesn't talk to the policy team. But ultimately, everything is connected and should be building on each other. But also, we should be building on each other's strengths Mm -hmm. and complementing our own skills with somebody else's. Because ultimately, we all want the same thing. So basically, stop being so precious and Mm. work with other people. Mm. Yeah, good. (laughs) Speak in language. So this is the International Year of Indigenous Languages, as defined by the UN. And... One of the things that was really clear at the conference, which was one of the themes, is the important role of language. I grew up not speaking my language. Yeah, same. Like lots of us did. Mm. And there is a massive movement of reclaiming language and we have the right to our, our, our language. And so the importance of language around it as a communicating tool for culture. Culture is embedded in language. And so if we want to reclaim who we are fully as people, we should be... Um, trying to speak language where we can and and we're all going to be at different levels and that's okay but just saying to people it's your right take it 
Speak Our Truth history, which really plays into this year's NAIDOC theme as well about truth-telling, doesn't it? Absolutely. So we were really lucky to have Bruce Pascoe, um, author of Dark Emu, there. And we always talk about our truth. But even as a young Aboriginal woman, when I was at school, I didn't know our history. Yeah. And I teach our history as one of my lectures in Social Determinants of Health here at Wollongong Uni. My students don't know our history. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be talking our history and we need to be not shy about the crap stuff as well. And so we just really need to be open and honest about our history and hopefully as a nation we can actually come to recognise that this country wasn't great for us. How do you find uh, student reaction? I was going to start the subject looking at legislation and I actually found a lot of my students were actually really distressed. I actually was talking about it and I think we're a little desensitised as Aboriginal people because we we live and breathe it. Mm -hmm. And I actually just stopped and looked at my class and went, oh, ah, there's a really some distressed faces. And I actually stopped and asked them how they were feeling. And people were feeling upset. They were feeling deceived because they hadn't known. That was actually quite surprising to me how little they knew. I shouldn't be surprised. I actually started off with saying, I don't want you to feel guilty. That's no good for anyone. This is not about white guilt. This is about you understanding the history of this country to understand the current situation with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Now, there are some fabulous things within our communities and there's some not so good things. Some of those things are actually a legacy of history. So you need to understand how we go from history to now. Because a lot of people say, oh, but that happened a long time ago. Or that legislation was changed in the 60s. But people don't recognise the ripple effects of past stuff Mm. and it goes through our communities and we carry that burden and so again they did feel really crap and we got them to do reflective journals and their their journals actually showed how crap they felt but most of them moved on from that which was positive. Which is something for them but certainly for us as your fourth takeout from the Darwin conference was be courageous. Yes that was something that Chelsea Bond actually called for and I think we all need to be courageous and I know it's difficult but if we're all doing it then we're all doing it together Mm. and I think that as Aboriginal people if we sit back and we don't actually fight for our mob in our own way so we don't actually have to be walking down the streets or we don't actually have to be writing articles like I do but even if you're just pulling up someone who's making a a racist comment say hey dude that's not okay Mm -hmm. then I think that um, we'll have a better country and We have a right to be courageous. We come from proud, strong mob. And what's happened in the past may make you feel less proud, make you feel less strong. But that doesn't mean you are, just Mm -hmm. the way you're feeling. And you need to know that you are strong and you should be proud to be Aboriginal. And that means you should be courageous and just get out there and be Aboriginal. And be Indigenous, number five. Because we often go into spaces and we actually try to fit in with them. Mm -hmm. And if we're working in a a non-Aboriginal organisation, then we try and actually often because it's the the, the path of least resistance. But if we're doing that, what we're actually doing is conforming and assimilating. And we have a right to be who we are as Indigenous peoples and they actually, as institutions, should be adapting to suit us. Otherwise, you're putting a black face on a white way. And I don't think we need any of us are going to benefit from that. So we need to own our indigeneity and we need to actually walk in there proud and say, actually, no, this is an Indigenous space as well and these are some of the things that I need 
out of this space. And so we're in this Indigenous space yes. at this university. You're at the end of a PhD, which is, yeah. you know, you could, you could say was a, a non-Indigenous space, but it's, um, it was, it's a d- Doctor of Philosophy, isn't yeah, it, in yeah. Aboriginal Health? Yeah, Public Health. In Public Health. And look, I mean, here's the thing is, like I look at Albert Namajira's paintings, he painted in watercolour, mm-hmm. and yet what he was painting was his country, so it's still an Aboriginal painting using white methodologies. Yes. And so from my point of view, if we are in a space and we are truly Aboriginal within ourselves and confident and expressing that through, say, a PhD, it was always going to be an Aboriginal piece of work, even if it is a piece of paper that was originally created by a white system. My PhD is very much an Aboriginal piece of work. I'm an Aboriginal woman, my supervisor's Aboriginal, communities I work with are Aboriginal, they've endorsed the bits that that are relevant to them and I have an Aboriginal leadership group. So the casing is white but the the heart of it's black. That's a good way of putting it. You being two months away from submission? Maybe three. Okay, all right, we'll (laughs) say three. (laughs) I'm an optimist, I keep saying it's only two but... Soon. Mm, Soon. Before the end of the year. Yeah. Absolutely. What are you going to do... Once you submit, you can have a party, you can have a little holiday. I'm having several. <laughs> so I have a special bottle of wine, which is my favourite bottle of wine, which is in my cupboard in my, behind my towel. So every time I open it up, I see it. And it's a reminder to submit the thesis. But um, I actually want to have a party when I submit. But when I graduate, I want to have another party down in Adelaide. Oh, lovely. Because I'm doing my PhD with the University of South Australia. Yes. And so I want to invite all of the people that have supported me in South Australia I've had my family up here and my community up here, but I've had my friends and community down there. So I'm going to have lots of parties and lots of dinners. And yeah, because it's a big bloody thing. Because you talked about first. I was the first person in my family, at least in the Newcastle region, to finish year 12 and then go on to do my undergrad, then a master's, and now a PhD. You become, not by choice, but because you are the first, a little bit of a role model, and you're setting the path for the future generations to say, or future, you know... PhD students, hopefully, Mm -hmm. to say I can do this. Well, Summer, thank you so much for your time and for sharing everything that you've shared with us today. Uh, Congratulations on being almost at submission stage. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully people will continue to listen to this and it will be after that point. I wish you well and I hope, you know, if you have a party here in Wollongong, please invite me. Oh, I will. I'd love to come. Yeah. (laughs) Alrighty, thank you. You can do Nayania Baria, Nayania Manania, Manania, Manania.